Hello, and welcome to In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, a food service industry podcast by Nations Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Senior Food and Beverage Editor Brett Thorne, coming to you as we close out January. Uh, it seems like a pretty fast month to me. I don't know about the rest of you. Uh, and we are diving headlong into February, which is a kind of a busy month. We have Super Bowl Sunday on February 11th this year. And then on the 20th, we have Mardi Gras. So after that, I'm expecting uh, to get a bunch of information about new seafood dishes that are being added to menus. And in between, we have Valentine's Day, a holiday I do not care for. It uh, puts a lot of pressure on people who are in, uh, in relationships to um, step up their game and do some sort of really intense romance. And for those of us not in relationships, it's a reminder that we're single. Thanks a lot, Calendar, for that reminder. I had forgotten. Um, Valentine's Day is problematic to me, and I, I kind of feel like it is to uh, a lot of restaurants, too. It is uh, an occasion that uh, many people in the industry refer to as amateur night, one of several, in which people who don't normally eat in restaurants go to restaurants, they don't necessarily know how to act, they're not necessarily great customers or great tippers, and of course the pressure of having a perfect night uh, is always there and something that if anything goes wrong, restaurants are on the risk, uh, risk of getting blamed for it. Nonetheless, I have an email box that is full of Valentine's Day promotions and I'd, I'd be curious to get some feedback from you guys about why restaurants even promote Valentine's Day. I mean, you're probably going to be full. If you're the sort of place where people go to for Valentine's Day, there's going to be a lot of interest, no matter what you do. So why are you promoting it? And then why are you getting these two tops of people who... As I said, don't don't really know how to act. It's not necessarily a, um, a great experience for anybody involved. I mean, I guess you can charge premiums, make extra money that way, and uh, I, I assume it's a it's a good money making uh, evening. But why why bother to promote it? This is my question. And if you would like to email me and let me know at brett.thorn at informa.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to look at my email address, by the way, you can just Google me and anything that I've written for Nations Restaurant News or Restaurant Hospitality that's likely to come up will have my uh, email address at the bottom of the story. So I'm easy to find. And as I said, I'm always super happy to hear from you. Uh, I hope you will stick around for another half hour or so because I have a really good guest today. Her name is Amina Marhaba. Uh, she is a Liberian immigrant who's in Detroit now and is about to open uh, her first brick and mortar restaurant uh, that uh, I think is going to be a big success. She's been doing uh, pop-ups for 
a while now and catering and now she's getting ready to be a full-fledged restaurateur. Please welcome to the stage Amina Marhaba. And you are Amina Marhaba, right? Yes, I'm Amina Marhaba. Uh, in Detroit, uh, with a restaurant called Little Liberia, right? Yes, we are in the process of opening um, a restaurant called Little Liberia. Yeah, it's been like a pop-up and stuff until now, right? Yes, so we've been doing caterings and pop-ups around the city um, since 2016. So that's a long time, going on eight years yeah. now. So yep. <laughs> tell me about, well, let's start by talking about you. You were born and raised in Liberia, right? Yes, so I was born in um, Liberia, and I lived both in Liberia and Lebanon. My mom is from Liberia, my dad is from Lebanon, so I lived in both countries, experienced both cultures, um, and then I, um, my father and my siblings were immigrated to the United States when I was about 15 years old, and um, after coming here, being a new immigrant in the U.S. I didn't have a lot of job opportunities and different things available to me to generate income to take care of my family. And that's when the pop-up business started. And so how how did you start popping up? Did you, I, I did, I mean, how did you start cooking and letting people know and all of that? Yeah. So um, originally, my original idea was to do a food truck because I thought it would have been the cheapest and the easiest way to sell my food. Um, but after I went through the SCORE program in Dearborn and um, I realized that a, a, a food truck could cost anywhere between thirty to $60,000 just to get started. And I didn't have that income at that time. So I um, started going to different bars and restaurants in the city and just telling them, hey, I know how to cook. I love to cook Liberian food. Can I just come here and sell food a la carte style? Um, and most of them were really nice about it and they let me go in and sell food and they had an open bar. So people were buying the food and buying their drinks. So it was kind of a win-win situation. So that's how it started. It was from those small businesses in Detroit that gave me the opportunity to sell my food there. And people started, um, coming back every week for the food. And we started building that, um, customer base and people who, were interested in Liberian food and Liberian culture. So that's how it started. We started by doing it a la carte style in Detroit, and then we started doing seated dinners and more pop-ups. And now we're doing even more catering and pop-ups. So um, we're on our way to making this a permanent thing in Detroit. That's exciting. And so that was really nice of these bars, or maybe it wasn't nice because yeah. it was good for them. Like, hey, you <laughs> It was and, a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> and you sold the food there, right? So it wasn't just like yes. an amenity at the bar. The customers had to buy your food as well as the drinks. Yes. yes so what are uh, some of the more popular dishes uh, from that bar and, and your seated dinners and so on? Um, well, when I started doing the a la carte style, I started with like common things that people knew more, like our jollof rice, our plantains. Um, I did the plantain chips. I did the sweet plantains. Um, and then I would do things like soups because I started around the winter time. So I would do like our vegetable soups, our lentil soups. Um, 
I did like our street food, which is our roasted beef, um, which a lot of people like because it's spicy and a little bit sweet. Um, so things like that is what I introduced at first. Now we have a bigger menu because I've been introducing more things at these pop-ups and just kind of getting feedback from people to see what they like, what they don't like. And um, I'm kind of going off of that to create the menu for Little Liberia. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, because people are interested in, I mean, any kind of like jollof rice thing. I mean, do did your customers know what jollof rice is? I mean, it's the ancestor of dirty rice and jambalaya and a lot of other American rice dishes. But uh, yes. Um, mm -hmm. um, well, when I started, nobody even knew what Liberian cuisine was. So I had to explain all of this. And 2016, at that time, the pop-up business was not desaturated. A lot of people didn't even know what a pop-up business is. So when I used to call a restaurant and ask them, like, hey, can I do a pop-up at your place? They're like, what is a pop-up? Like, how does that work? I needed to explain them. So we were one of the few chefs at that time that even started it. So when that started, again, the reason I'm mentioning this is the concept of that was new. So people are coming to something that's so new and also no Liberian restaurant in Michigan at all. They didn't know the food. So I needed to explain to them what is jollof rice, you know, um, wh where did it start? Like what countries are known for it? And a lot of African countries are known for their jollof rice. Like it's, it's our staple. We love it. So um, I wouldn't say people knew it back then. I think they know it more now because now there's more African restaurants around um, that's sharing that. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely more easily ex accepted now and people are more aware of like some of our cuisine more than they did when I started back then. Well, and even now it's, it's not like West African food is super common. And when it is, when it is around, usually it's, Nigerian or Senegalese, there's not a lot of talk of Liberia, which is a little country mm -hmm. in the middle of West Africa with an interesting history founded by uh, yeah. freed enslaved people, but uh, uh, yeah. it hasn't quite made its mark on the uh, American culinary scene yet. Although you're, you're starting in Detroit. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I 100% agree with you. Um, even the, the small African community now we have in Detroit it is other African countries. There is no Liberian restaurant in the entire Michigan, not even just Detroit. So it's I'm not just bringing something just to Detroit. I'm bringing something to Michigan for the first time because we don't have it. People who know about us and who have been trying our food know about it. But then there's a whole other array of people that have no idea what Liberian cuisine is. And now they'll have the opportunity to try our food and to experience the culture because that's all it's about is to share that culture, a little bit of that culture through Liberia. So let's talk about some of your dishes. You said grilled meat, which I'm guessing is similar to suya, which I think is Nigerian and has been mentioned to me. Is it, is it mm -hmm. similar with Nigerian or with a, a Liberian um, takes on it or how does that work? So our roasted beef is, it's, it is very different. We have something similar to suya, but the roasted beef is very different because, right. so for suya, it's a, it is a Nigerian originated appetizer and it's grilled. And then you add the suya uh, uh, pepper sauce on top and you just kind of eat it with a pick, right? Mm -hmm. um, for our roasted beef, it's like little tiny chunks of beef 
that we marinate in a nut butter sauce. So it has the peanut butter and it has like spices and pepper and habanero and everything in there. And you marinate that overnight. And then we put them on skewers and roast them on a grill. So the flavor is very different, very distinct. It's it's not something that a normal person will come try out or pop up and have had that before. So people love the the originality of it because that's exactly how we make it in Liberia. Um, and you just, you get it on a skewer and you just eat the skewer and it goes with sweet plantain. So the spicy beef with the sweet plantain, it pairs well together because the heat, the, the sweet plantain helps the heat, uh, a little bit. So that is one thing we're for sure going to have on our menu because that's one of our customers favorite. And every time we have it, we sell out of it. Yeah. It sounds delicious. And I, I imagine some of the ingredients are easy to get like peanuts or peanut butter. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of that. And chilies aren't a problem. But there are some other West African spices that have to be really difficult to to get, I assume. Do you like find similar things in the US? Or do you have a an inside track into importing things from West Africa? Or how do you do it? So we do have um, some African and Caribbean markets here. So I shop, I shop there for most of my stuff, because they import from our African countries here and we can buy some of those ingredients from them. Like things like our greens, like our cassava leaf. We have a dish called cassava leaves, for instance, and it's made out of yoka leaves. So yoka grows under, the cassava goes under and the leaves that's on top of it. We use that to create a dish called cassava leaves. Cassava leaf is not sold at Myers or Walmart or like any other restaurant chain. So you have to go to the African market to buy it from there to be able to make it. So so finding the ingredients is a challenge for us, you know, um, and when Little Liberia opens, I'm going to find a way to import most of these from Liberia um, and find a way to also support local farmers here where we can get seeds from there and they grow it here. And that way we cut back on import-export costs and we're also supporting a local farmer that can grow this for us and we use in the restaurant. That's actually my plan. So I'm, I've been reaching out to different farmers and local places in Detroit that are willing to help us with that. And hopefully by the time we're ready to open, we can have some things ready. That's exciting. Creating mm-hmm. whole new industries in Michigan, which could yes. use it. Um, <laughs> and and um, cassava leaves, that's called Kalaloo in the Caribbean, right? Is that the same thing? I mean, not it's called what? Callaloo, I think. The leaves hmm. of the I've cassava. never heard of that. Is oh. is it the same leaves that they use? I believe so. But I don't hmm. know everything. And just because you know <laughs> about Liberian stuff doesn't mean you know about Caribbean stuff because they're different places. Liberian cuisine is highly influenced by Caribbean cuisine. So it is very possible that we share a lot of the same ingredients. Um in dishes, probably call it something different or cook it a little bit different, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like Liberia in particular has a lot of influence from the the Caribbean because it was Caribbeans who founded it, right? Caribbeans and American. American slaves of that went into Liberia. And so we had that colonization when we did and all those influences from the Caribbean, the Americans and the South Africans, all of that kind of contributed to our cuisine, to our culture and, and Liberia today, I guess. 
Well, and, and also, of course, the Caribbean and uh, American food, especially Southern American food, is influenced by West Africa because uh, of all the uh, people that were enslaved and brought their own culinary traditions to the New World. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's cross-cultural and yes. simultaneously sad and beautiful. Because slavery is sad, but delicious food is not sad. Yeah, not to trivialize that's true. It too much. Um, <laughs> so, and you said you you have a lentil soup also. I'm a huge fan of lentils. So what's that like? Oh, really? I love lentil soup. So the lentil soup part comes from my Middle Eastern part of me, right? Um, because in the Middle East, we're big on lentil soup. So I do have some dishes on the menu that are kind of influences of both my culture. Um, so we use the lentil soup with the fresh onions and the olive oil and all of that. And we make this beautiful bowl of lentil soup that I also used to sell at the pop-ups. Um, actually bringing it back, this next event that I have in um, February, um, since it's winter and it's cold, people usually like warm soup. So Makes sense. Um, so well, how far along are you in opening the restaurant? Like, have you found a space or anything yet? Yes, so we actually signed our lease about four four months ago. Um, so we officially have a space. It's on Woodward Avenue um, in Midtown Detroit. We're currently working on the architect design and the build out of it. Um, so we're hoping within the next six to seven months, we should have that completed. So we're estimating a mid to late summer opening of this year for Little Liberia. That's something to look forward to. Uh, so how did you get interested in cooking? Um, so I've always loved to cook, but back in Liberia, when I was a little girl, my mom had a small hot restaurant that she used to cook in. So I was always in the kitchen helping her and um, just kind of learning from her as she did what she did in the kitchen. I was too, too young. But um, that's how my mom was able to support us in Liberia during the time that we were there because we were always back and forth between Liberia and Lebanon. And when we're in Liberia, she used to cook and sell the food, you know, to take care of us. So even though that was like a means for us to survive and take care of ourselves and, 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 and just make it in a third world country, it was also something beautiful came out of that because I was watching her and learning from her drive and her hustle and how much she did whatever she needed to do to take care of her children. Right. So like coming back, that, that kind of just stayed in me. And I saw that um, passion that she had doing that. Um, so when I came to the U S I just really wanted to build on the beautiful aspect of that. And that's why I thought of the idea of also cooking and selling food here but then I realized it's not as simple as it was in Liberia. You can just go find a little shop and just cook there and sell the food. Like you have to have a restaurant, you have to have a food truck, or you have to have a catering license. And um, a new immigrant didn't have the immigration status at the time, couldn't really legally do anything yet. I was still young. Um, so the only thing I could do was to go to restaurants that would let me sell a la carte style where people would just pay cash for food. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the motivation behind why um, Little Liberia began. <laughs> well, as, as I understand it, you also studied criminal justice. Is that right? You have a bachelor's degree in that? Yes. 
So, yes. How come? So I um I always wanted to. This is so unrelated, and I know everybody's watching this are gonna be like, "How did you end up here?" But um, I've always wanted to be um, a federal prosecutor. That was like my thing. I'm like, I want to be a federal prosecutor. I want to stand up for the guy because I feel like federal prosecutor has the power. A lot of people think the judge do, and the judge does have a lot of power, but the prosecutor determines who gets charged and who doesn't. So I studied criminal justice in order for me to um, get my bachelor's degree and go to um, law school. So I did my associate in criminal justice at uh, Wayne County Community College in Detroit. And then after I graduated my associate, I did my bachelor's at the Ferris State University. Um, and after that, I studied for my LSAT and I got all my letters of recommendation and everything. And I was ready to apply. I had my whole packet and I decided I wanted to open the restaurant instead. So um, I didn't go through with it. And I, I, I'm at this point right now and I'm so happy with my decision because I love cooking more than I love anything else. And school would never go away. It's always going to be there. If I ever decide that I wanted to go back and get my law degree, I could do that. So, um, yeah, that that was the story. I do have a bachelor's in criminal justice, and um, I'm a chef. Well, I mean, I, I think having uh, knowledge of the American criminal justice system is probably handy for anybody, especially somebody who has to uh, jump through all the legal hoops that you need to do to open a business which I have never yes. done. So I don't really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, has, has it, it's, are there, have there been a lot of difficulties with licensing and, and stuff? I mean, Detroit's supposed to be a pretty business friendly city, but I don't know. I mean, it is, it's just that there's a lot of requirements. There's a lot of things I'm learning. Let me just say that there's a lot of things I didn't know about opening a restaurant permitting and this and all the requirements that you need. So it has been a process and the process has not been you know, the easiest, but nothing good comes easy. So I'm up for the challenge and I'm preparing for all of these things. Like as I get closer to them, um, I would say that, um, Detroit is a business friendly city. So they're here to support you in so many different ways. There's so many programs out there that are helping me like with things that I don't even know, you know, like the Detroit means business, for instance, like just so many different organizations that are just here for us. So is there delays in permitting and things like that? Yes, that happens too. And I think it happens in every city, you know, but um, you just got to push through it and got to keep trying and you got to anticipate these delays because it's, it's normal. When you also, I mean, you sounds like you got support from the Detroit hospitality community early on. The bars let you sell your food. So that was nice. Um, yes. Did you just like walk into bars and say, hi, do you want someone to cook food for you? Or like, how, how do you win people over? Um, well, it was very, um, how do I say it? It wasn't easy because, you know, think about it, a 15 year old girl work, walking into a bar and saying, Hey, can I cook here? Like people barely took me seriously. Like, first of all, does she know how to cook? Or does she even know what she's talking about? You know? Um, so it, I just had to explain to them why I wanted to do it. And I think a lot of people, understood that and that's why they let me do it it wasn't just like to sell the food like I would tell them like I really am 
a new immigrant in this country. I'm just trying to take care of my family, but I love to cook. And I think people would love the food here. And some of them would say, bring a plate of food. Let me try it, you know, and then do it. And I would do that. Um, but most of them, I think mostly just understood me and what I was explaining to them. And the reason why I wanted to do it, I think it was the main thing that made them even accept me to sell food there, you know? So, um, yeah, that's how, um, that's how I got in. I mean, it's, it's nice that you say, hi, I have a dream. Can you help me fulfill it? And they said, yes, that's, it's yeah. nice. You also won, yeah. uh, you got a grant, right? From, uh, the Comerica Hatch Detroit contest. What is, what is that? Yes. So that is a pitch competition. So um, around the time that I was, you know, trying to decide between a permanent location for the restaurant and law school was around the time that I started the Prosperous Detroit Entrepreneurship Program. And I went through their cohort and, and, and graduated from that. I applied for a bunch of different pitch competitions in the city. I said, I'm just going to go for it and go big. So I applied for the Hatch Detroit contest. And that was the first year they were back after COVID had, you know, shut everything down. So it's a pitch contest where, you know, you fill out an a, a application and um, you are in contest with, with over 350 businesses in Detroit. That year, there was 350 businesses that applied to it. And out of the 350, they narrowed it down, I think, to like 200 and then 100 and then 50 and then 25. And when it gets down to 25, you have to take samples of whatever your business is, whatever your product is. So for me, it was food. So I took samples of my food when it was top 25. And then the judges like score you based on that. Um, and then if you move on to the next round, you go up to top 10 and then you need the vote from your community. So it's a community based contest, really. Um, and then the community votes for their favorite business who they would like to win $100,000 to go towards their opening of their business or the expansion of their business. Um, so after top 10, you make it up to top five if you get enough votes. And then at top five, you go up in, in front of an audience and five judges and you pitch the best pitch that you've ever done for your business and tell people about why your business is unique, what makes you better, what makes you uh, stand out, what is special about your business, and you just tell them about you. You have five minutes to do that. After every five, each of us uh, do our pitches, the judges vote for whoever the best business they think won the pitch, and then they incorporate the vote of the public, and then one person wins the prize, which is $100,000. So I won it in 2022, so last, not last year, the year before, and after winning it, you don't just win the $100,000. You also win um, uh, business services like legal, accountant, um, pretty much anything, any business service that you need for your business. They're really available there to help you with those things, which is awesome because a lot of us might know our craft, but we might not know the business aspect of our business, if that makes sense. And these people were there to like help us through all of this. So organizations like Hatch Detroit, it plays a huge part into why we're at this stage right now. Organizations like Motor City Match also, they contributed a lot to Little Liberia and what we have been doing, even to our design. They helped us with um, acquiring an architect to help with the design of the space. And they also helped with funding to, to, to get you there. 
So we have organizations like that that are backing us and supporting us. And that's that's how we're able to move forward so quickly now because of Hatch, Motor City Match, Tech Town, Detroit Means Business, Prosperous Detroit. Prosperous is like the core of everything because they started us, they give us that push, and they sent us off to all these places. So Prosperous Detroit, tell me more about that. It sounds like an organization that encourages Detroit people to be prosperous. Yes, they do. So they have different different uh, cohorts that you can do, right? So I did the entrepreneurship uh, program back in 2021, I believe. And it's like kind of like the best way to explain it, it's like business 101. Like, tell me about your business and I'll tell you what you need to do to make your business better. And that's what they did. So they walked us through creating a business plan. When I started a Prosperous, I didn't even have a business plan. Now I have a 36-page business plan. They walk you through step by step. This is how you identify your customers. This is how you identify your competitions. This is what makes you special. Talk about your um Talk about like the business bio, talk about business research, and they show you these different sites to go to to find us information. Because how would we know? Like we're new. Okay, for me, I'm just going to give an example of myself. Like I knew how to cook. I knew some aspect of the business portion of running my business, but I wasn't an accountant. Like I didn't know much, you know? So they showed you all those things. There was a textbook that you, you go through the textbook. At the end of the class, everyone had a business plan. They had a good financial projection. Like for me, I had a I had a very solid number on what I thought it would cost to open my restaurant. I did the research of like equipments and, and leases and buildings. Like they pushed us to do those things that we wouldn't do on our own. And then after that, after you graduate from the program, um, they also have a little pitch at the end of um, at the end of the program where all the businesses that was part of that cohort they do a pitch about their business, and they bring different organizations like Cody Rouge and different uh, organizations to come and witness that pitch, and you win like five hundred dollars. So that was the first pitch that I won was at the end of Prosperous Detroit. I did that. I won that first thing, and then after that, they give you a list of different organizations that you could apply to, and reach out to for external help that you might need that they can't provide to you. And they gave me the list of Motor City Match, of Hatch Detroit, um, of other organizations. So they were really just the foundation and they really help businesses prosper. And I think it's important that a lot of people in Detroit understand like how these small organizations really do help us, you know? Yeah, that's great. And it's it's great that they didn't, that the competition you won, they didn't just throw you a hundred thousand dollars and like, Say okay, bye. You know, right? Not not that getting a hundred thousand dollars isn't a great thing. Also, like when you won, did you like go buy some champagne and celebrate, or how how did you? Uh, um, that's a big win. It's a big win. I think. Um, yeah, I definitely celebrated with like my family and my friends and everything. Uh, I was in shock. I think for like the first month, honestly, I was still like not in shock because I doubted myself, but just in shock that it was happening to me. That's all. And um, I was so grateful, I was so happy, and just couldn't wait to see Little Liberia become what I envisioned it to be. And now it's like I'm going through all these steps and all this process that's like bringing it to life every day, you know? Um, A couple weeks ago, I got my keys to the building and I went in and I'm just standing in the building and it's such a surreal moment. I'm like, wow, this is going to be 
a little Liberia restaurant. People are going to walk in here and, and order food. And I think about like, you were just like 15, 16 year old coming here undocumented, like now I'm a US citizen, of course, but I like, I just think of that transition. Like people don't know the limitation immigrants have on them in the country. They don't know like the kind of battles that we have to fight to get to where we are. We take any jobs because that's what we can get. And now that little immigrant that came here was just looking for a means to take care of her family now has a lease in her name in Midtown Detroit. The pressure, the excitement, everything, I just can't explain, honestly. It's just I, I just feel very grateful and very happy that it's happening. And I can't wait for to see the big picture, you know, come together. That's that's awesome. And you mentioned, you know, having having confidence. And I as I understand it, self-esteem can be a huge issue for immigrants, women, people of color, a lot of people who aren't in the, the quote unquote mainstream. So what like how did you develop that sense of self that was strong enough that you could go ahead and compete for these things and cook people your food? I mean, cooking food for people is always a little nerve wracking because you don't know what they're gonna think. How yeah. how did you get that self confidence to to get where you are now? Um, I think one thing that gave me the confidence always was just trusting my gut. And even applying for the competition, yes, you're like, oh, 350 businesses. I'm just one of that 350, you know, like, am I going to get there? Is it, should I even apply? The application took me three days and not because it's such an extensive application, but it was because I was taking my time to actually explain my story because there's a huge part of it where you just have to talk about yourself and what your vision is and things like that. So my confidence always just came from trusting my gut and just going with it and taking that self-doubt that we always have in our head that tells you, oh, you really think you can do this? Or, you know, you really think you're going to win this? That doubt we always have in ourselves, which is our biggest critic, I have to like block it out, trust my gut and go for it. So I always found my, found my confidence in that, trusting myself. And I think that took me like through a lot of things in my life. And now I'm at this stage where like, I'm making like huge decisions about little Liberia and and every day is like something big and bigger and big and bigger. And I just have to keep that trust. I can't keep, I have to keep it. Because as soon as I start losing it and start doubting myself, then I'm going to get scared. And then I wouldn't want to do it because it's it's a huge risk. Restaurants, are, as many people know, has the most, one of the lowest profit margins. So if you're going to go into a business like that, you have to have the confidence and you have to trust yourself. So right now, that's what's driving me. Just me trusting myself that I could do this. And you have to love it because there are much easier ways to make money. Yes. So, but yes. it sounds like you do. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. And remind us again, what's the address of Little Liberia when it opens, whenever it opens? It's, yes. Yeah, so it's going to be at 6513 Woodward Avenue um, on Woodward in Detroit. It's right next to Sabino's Pizza on Woodward, um, right opposite... Young Village. Young Village is right across the street from us. So we also have the Amtrak that stops right in front of the building, like at the end of the building. So people can stop in or out of town and just come and grab a bite from us. Um, it's just so accessible. And it's just in the middle. So I love that about it. So That's great. by the end of summer, you know, if you're down there, make sure you stop by and get some food. 
shall be able to take a train to Detroit for lunch. Have lunch yes. and then go <laughs> to Milwaukee or whatever my next stop might be. Uh, yeah. Great. Well, uh, Amina Marhaba, it was great uh, getting to know you. And congratulations in advance on your uh, on the success of uh, Little Liberia. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in real life. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for having me on here. Thank you for sharing my story. I truly appreciate it. And I can't wait for you to try our food. 